Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. How many of you have a few questions for God? (laughs) See, there's some honest people here. (laughs) I got a few for him. Yeah. I've got a few questions for God, too. You know, it's amazing how many people go through so much pain in their lives. And uh, I have seen over the years, been pastoring for a very long time, and uh, seeing and hearing people come through suffering loss, suffering uh, disillusionment, uh, high expectations, only to find them dashed and to find them taken away from you suddenly and being disoriented and, and wondering, you know, what is going on. I have questions like my brother. My brother uh, just entering his postgraduate work in school. He had a sweetheart just graduating from high school. This young lady loved Jesus with all of her heart. She was a vivacious young person and would share Christ with anybody. Just graduated high school, soon to become a fiancé. My brother's fiancé heads toward Myrtle Beach for junior-senior weekend, and a drunk driver runs head on into her and kills her. And my brother, he goes, why? Why? Where are you, God? What's going on? I watched my son take his two-week-old baby out of his wife's hand, lifeless body out of, his hand, out of her hands, and saying, honey, we got to let him go. And I sit back and I go, not just why is this happening, but why does he have to let him go? Why? Why? I bet you got questions, too. We don't talk much in church about it, do we? We don't. We don't. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I have this thing in me about not arguing with God because sometimes I think it's, it's disrespectful. And God has had to kind of work on me to say, look, if you have a relationship with me, you can just say what you think. <laughs> you know, you can pour out your heart. And I want you to know today as we jump into this sermon that you're not alone. And I don't mean just myself going through some things or other friends of yours or yourself but Jesus has been through this before and so we're going to look at a passage of scripture over in Matthew 27 verses 45 and 46 this morning Um, you have a handout and in the handout is a fill in if you want to track along Um, I'm going to read the scripture and uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into this Matthew 27, 45 through 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, we ask your blessing on your word. I ask for you to come and be with us this morning. Uh, As we look at these last words, these last words of Jesus 
on the cross. And we ask, Lord, that you show us this morning what your word has for us. Because in your word is life. In your word is hope and consolation. And Jesus, we ask at this period of time as we are Palm Sunday and as we head towards Good Friday and we realize there is great loss coming, Lord, that we too in our lives, many of us have suffered things where we wonder, where are you and why, God? So speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scripture describes this moment in time as many of us know Jesus has gone to the cross. He has lived a perfect life. He has never harmed anyone. He's never done uh, anything. He's never sinned. He's pure. He's holy. He's just lived a, a immaculate, perfect life. And now he is on the cross. He has been beaten. He's suffered. He's been abused. And uh, now he hangs up on the cross. And he is beginning to gasp his last breath with with his life, with his mortal, his human life, his body. And these words come out of him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? During this three-hour time, it gets very dark in the land. The clouds come, there's rumbling, there's thunder, earthquakes. And, and uh, this is kind of a picture, and we still use this kind of darkness to be able to represent when something ominous is about to happen, right? I mean, we, we see it in movies all the time. Uh, we read it in novels. Uh, m- many of you may not remember the movie Cape Fear, but it's like one of these horrifying movies to me. And when that boat goes off into the swamps, you know, and you can see the thunder and the lightning uh, over the swamp, and uh, you know that Max Cady is somewhere close. You know, you know that something evil, something, something very dark and sinister is about to happen. Something. And the darkness in Scripture is, is a picture of everything that's anti-God. It's all of the sins and, and all of the failures of this world suddenly coming to bear on one person at one time. And that is Jesus himself right at that moment. And so even the world, even the earth, the weather is convulsing in this moment. Something is going on during these three hours at this time that is just changing everything. And so get the setup for that, that that this is a dark time. Sin has brought darkness. And because of God's purity, because of who he is as perfect and holy, he requires justice. God God can't stomach sin. Sin, missing the mark, not being holy as he is holy. God cannot stomach being around it. And so when he backs off, the darkness comes in. And as he is backing away in his presence with Jesus, the world gets darker and darker and darker as sin becomes more pronounced and more pronounced and darker and darker upon Jesus on the cross at that moment in time. So that's what's happening. and set up during that period of time. Uh, Jesus actually becomes sin. Becomes sin. It's placed on him and in him. and all, It's just all of it is placed upon him. The darkness And out of all of that comes this agonizing cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you close? Why aren't you nearby? I have never known what it is like to not be near you. And now, at this moment, in my greatest need, you're not here. Your presence is not here. 
My God, my God. Now, just a few hours before, he was in the garden, right, praying. And you remember the prayer he had? He said, you know, Father, you know, if there's any other way, you let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way for me to get this done, now would be a good time to know it. Tim's, you know, that's my interpretation, right? But it's just as quick as he said that. What does he say? But not my will, but yours be done, right? So those, that's the moment building up to this is, as everything is building to that one moment in time with him on the cross. Jesus is crying out. Now, we Christians, you know, when we go through, when we go through tough times, we, have some, we, we can have some overly simplistic responses to one another, right? When we go through, go through uh, difficult times. Or even when we're trying to give each other like input. I, years ago, we, I, I, I took these, these young kids, or I was a kid too, but I took a kid to, the, to like this really hyper-Pentecostal church, right? Because we were all fired up for God, and I wanted them to see what it was like to be among people who really didn't mind expressing how much they loved Jesus. So I took all these long-haired kids. Were you with me, Paul? I don't know. <laughs> you know, there was, there, I took this group with me, and we went into this we went into this. Pentecostal denomination, and it was a throwdown, man. And, uh, you know, one of the guys, one of the little guys, a little blonde way down here, he had leather straps all around his arms, around his head, and shells, and, you know, slaps on, and we're in this church, and he goes, I'm getting all I can. And he takes off for the front, you know, to get prayed for, and I'm going, don't go, you know, because I know what's going to happen, you know. And, and as soon as he gets down there, man, it is like a swarm of buzzards, <laughs> You know, all the elders in the church. And all I could see was this blonde hair coming up and getting pushed back down. (laughs) Pushed back down. You know, like we waited and we waited. And then finally he comes back and he's just shaking his head. I'm like, what went on? He goes... Man, you know, I said, look, I just want to love Jesus more. I know I got things in my life. And, and one guy said, just let it go, let it go. Another guy said, hang on, hang on. Another guy, said, <laughs> another guy said, hey, cut those things off of your wrist. Cut those things off of your wrist. Another guy said, we need to cut your hair. Another guy said, you look like Jesus. Another guy said, you know, it gets confusing. Who's right? Who's wrong? How do we deal with things? I mean, we go in one place, we go in another, and we don't know. We just don't know. Some of the responses we have many times, and this is in your, your handout. You can fill in these blanks if you want to. Is that one of, the, one of the things we say to each other when we're in a tough time is it's your fault. If you had someone come to you, when, I mean, there's some sickness, there's some loss, there's some tough thing going on in your life, and someone says, I, I just want to be honest with you. I know there's some hidden sin, and you can tell me. Yeah, like I'm going to tell you, right? I mean, no, it ain't going to happen, even though there is any hidden sin, you know, right there. Not going to happen. I mean, there's some sin in your life causing this pain and causing this loss. And, and, or, or it's like, if you just had enough faith, brother, you know, if you just had enough faith, then this would not be going on. If you trusted Jesus enough, then everything would be great. But you, you just need more faith. Let me pray for your faith. And so... Could be our fault. Another reason in your next feeling is it's the devil's fault. Well, the devil's attacking you. That's what it is. The devil. Now you can have them both come at the same time. That's when it really gets confusing, right? You know, it's your fault. No, it's the devil's fault. The devil's attacking you. We're going to stand with you. Uh, then we start rebuking and binding and and you know rejecting and praying and fasting and anointing with oil and we just go fight the devil for one another. Is 
as hard as we can. We're just trying to figure out what's going on. Why isn't God close to me right now? Why aren't things different? And then the last reason that some uh, well-meaning Christians say is it's God's will. This is God's will for you to go through this. It's God's will. I mean, he's sovereign. He, he knows about it. And uh, you wouldn't be going through it if he didn't want you to go through it. So it's God's will. Now, let's be honest. Number one, yeah, we're not sinless completely yet, right? So there are occasions and there are times when we do have sin operating in our life, and sometimes there are repercussions to those sins. That's true. And it's also true that most of us probably don't have as much faith as we wish we had. <laughs> we don't trust God as, as much as we want. And uh, so I guess that's true, too. We want more faith. We want to trust God more. And it is true. We have an enemy called the devil. The Bible tells us that, that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, to annihilate. He has a terrible plan for your life. And uh, so we do have to deal with him. We, we know that. And also, we also know this, that God, in his sovereignty, and in his overwhelming knowledge and wisdom of everything, makes Everything, Romans 8, 29, work together for good. That he can weave it, he can make it work, even when it looks horrible to us, that he can make it work to good, for good. And, and we, many of us know that through some of our most desperate times, God has spoken to us the clearest. Many of us know that. That when we get still and alone, and we feel like there's no one else there, is when many times we draw the closest to God. So, you know, all of those have somewhat truth to them don't they but it's still complicated when you're working through it and you just want some relief my god my god why have you left me here why isn't your presence here with me right now why not from the minute jesus was born the devil was out to kill him that we know herod Killed all the babies, three and old, or three and younger, right? Because he wanted to make sure he could get rid of Jesus. So the devil was definitely after Jesus to kill him. Uh, his family at that period of time, most of his family, his brothers and sisters and all, thought he was crazy. Uh, wrote him off. All that changed after Easter. But you know, uh, you know, in the meantime, during the during his ministry years there, they thought he was crazy. People said he was demon possessed, even when he cast out demons. And he freed people from oppression. People said, you have a demon. So, but all through all of that, Jesus never raised his voice. And he, never, he never went back at them. He never railed against them. He kept his face right straight toward the cross, right straight through it, through every bit of it. Um, there's a story over in Daniel 3 of these three Hebrew boys, maybe you've Heard their names before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as an old preacher told me many years ago, my shack, your shack, and the bungalow. That's how, that's how he said to remember it. So I never forgot the names after that. <laughs> and so these three Hebrew boys, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's the king, and uh, heathen king, and he decides he's going to build this 90 feet tall, uh, 90 foot tall golden idol, nine feet wide, and He's going to march it down the center of town, and he's going to have the worship band, their worship band, playing music. And when the band starts playing music, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this idol, right? And so these three Hebrew boys are like, that ain't going to happen. 
You know, we worship, we worship the God of Israel, and, and uh, we're not bowing down. And, and so he gets word. King Nebuchadnezzar gets word. And I want us to read this passage of what transpires. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, which is what he said. He said, like, you know what? You're going to burn. Matter of fact, these guys, I'm going to heat it hotter than it's ever been. I'm going to get my strongest soldiers to bind and bind them up in such a way they can't get out. And we're going to toss them in there. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. What's the next word? <laughs> Don't. Ah, but even if he does not, even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Do you see that? He, he can deliver us. He will deliver us. But, <laughs> you know, even if he doesn't, we're staying the course. What a depth of faith there, huh? And trust. It's like, I, I believe, I believe you could. I, I know you can. I know you can. I know you can get us out of this situation, God. I know you can. And I, I, I believe you will, but if he doesn't and we have to go through this, then that's all right. We're still not going to compromise. We won't. What a measure of faith. Now, it's good to remember and this, I just wrote this out in your handout. It's good to remember that in the middle of our pain, we only see part of the story. I, and believe me, somebody telling you this when you're in pain, I know that that can almost feel trite at times. You can go, that's easy for you to say. You're not where I am. Because I don't see another chapter after this one. The one that I'm in right now is the end of the book. That's the way it feels. But you know how every good novel is? Right when you think it's about to end, whoop, next chapter. Hang on to that thought. Remember, in the middle of our pain, we only see part of the story. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 12 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. The day is going to come when it's all clear and we'll get it. But right now in this life, we do not see everything. We, we don't. And, and it is good. It is good to remind yourself of that in the middle of it, that this isn't the last chapter, that there is more. Remember, next week is Resurrection Sunday, okay? So, look, there's another chapter to be written. And it helps to say, God, you're still doing something. I can't see all. Now, I don't believe God causes everything, but I do believe he can work through everything. I believe that. And I could go back to the things I've just mentioned, the, the things in our lives, and we have seen some beauty come out of all of it. Amazing, because that wasn't the last chapter in our lives. And it's not the last chapter in your life. Why did the Father forsake Jesus? Why did he pull his presence away? These are your last two fill-ins. The first one is this, and I mentioned it earlier. Jesus became sin. He became sin. And God cannot be in the presence of sin. He can't do it. He can't stomach it. 
He is, it's not because he is angry, he wants to hurt anybody. It's because he is holy and pure and righteous in everything that is good. And anything that is not good and is not holy and is not righteous and perfect cannot remain in his presence. And Jesus, at that moment in time, had become everything that the Father could not be around. Our sins. He became that at that moment, and the Father backs up. He steps back as Jesus pays the price. God made him who had no sin to be sinned for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? We were not in right standing with God before Jesus, the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus sin. Put, let the sin come upon him so that we could be put in right standing with God. And so when that sin came upon Jesus, he became it. God backs up. His presence backs up as all of the sins of the world are heaped upon him. And Jesus becomes a sacrificial lamb at that moment for us. Habakkuk 1.13 says this about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God is a just God. He requires justice. And part of that justice is for the sins of the world to be paid for in order for the world, for us to be reconciled to him. And so Jesus suffered that for us. So while he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first time he has ever experienced anything like that in eternity. As God backs up. And your next feeling is, why did the Father forsake Jesus so we can be forgiven. So we can be forgiven. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So we can be forgiven and put in right standing. Was it still painful for Jesus? It was a horrifying moment. Horrifying. To be excluded, not just the pain of, the, of all of his body and what he had been through, but the separation from his father, the one who had always been there, is not there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out. Do you notice anything about that phrase? My God, my God. It's not a declaration that God doesn't exist. It's not a declaration that he's not somewhere, right? Because he cries, my God, my God, my God, my God. Why have you... That is a very personal crying out. That is a relational statement and question right there of we have a relationship. And why are you not here with me right now? It's not a declaration that God doesn't exist. It's not a declaration that God doesn't care. It's a declaration of we have a relationship and I need you right now. Where are you? It is a statement of faith. My God, my God, 
And I told you, I've had to deal with this because it's hard for me to complain to God. I mean, I complain to everybody else, <laughs> especially Karen. And, uh, but, but, you know, complaining to God, I just have this thing. I don't know what it is. I just have this thing. And then I realized God says, look, you know what? You complain to everybody you have a good relationship with. Why don't you complain to me sometimes? I actually might could do something about it. I'm like, yeah, but I think that's an insult. Really? Is that the way you treat your friends? Do you talk to your friends like that? Is it an insult to them whenever you pour your heart out to them? Or is it a statement of faith, a statement that you love the relationship and you're missing it right now? And you need it. So in our deepest need and deepest loss, to be able to pray out, my God, my God, I sure would like to have your presence here right now. Where are you? Is a statement and a prayer and a declaration that you have a God. It's not a statement. It's not a, it's not a declaration that you don't believe. It's a declaration that you have had a relationship with him. You have a relationship with him. And you want a deeper relationship right now with him. My God, my God. I read these uh, two statements I want us to read the, well, one of them together uh, when I was researching this out. Let's read this together, right? Only those who have great confidence in God can be disappointed when God becomes aloof. <laughs> Some of you should write that down. <laughs> Ever felt like God was aloof? You know, you can't be disappointed if you don't have a relationship. Get it? Then listen to this. Men and women of faith do not consider it inappropriate to argue with God. The fact that you do is a statement of your relationship. So there is hope. There is still another chapter to be written. Next week, we flip the page. From my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to, and we'll find out next week. <laughs> Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. <laughs>